Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Here with the two biggest Aston Villa supporters in the universe. God, stop it. Josh Norris and Ian Harditz. Ian, how are you? you? Threw me off with that, man. I cannot name a more beta and soft sport than soccer. Oh so you, you took it there. That's what I, that's my opinion on it. Well, thanks for asking how I am. I'm wonderful. I'm still recovering. Um, a person in the cafeteria really had like one of those accidental insults on me yesterday. Oh God! You know I've been sick. I was sick Sunday, I've been sick Monday, sick Tuesday. Um, and when you're sick, you know, you want soup. And so I've, I like big lunches, right? So I went and got three chicken breasts. I love salad, salad king over here. So I got a little side cucumber salad. And then one of those small soups, which I think is like 12 ounces. Go up to the cashier and she tells me, oh, you must be taking it light today. That doesn't make you feel that good <laughs> when it's still a lot of food. And I guess I've just been typecast as the dude who buys like 12 to $15 lunches every day. Well, if you're buying, see, if you want to get over your sickness, like buying soup isn't going to help you do that. You're admitting to yourself that you're sick now. You got to mentally get over that sickness before you let, the, let your mind control the body, not the body control the mind, Josh. At one point, like your, your side project, your veiny project is going to be like something like the secret because you're very much mind over body. Yeah. You very much are. That's how the human body works, man. Is it? Is that what science says? I heard Jimmy Johnson say it in like 1989. Oh, I would not live by what football coaches say. You know, just two-time champion, but what does he know? I mean, what do football coaches know? We're speaking of football coaches, we should probably start there. One was fired in the yes. NFL. Uh, not really a laughing matter, to be perfectly honest. Like, we, we sit here and look and evaluate teams and coaches and do our best to, despite being outside the NFL for most of our lives. Um, but Ron Rivera was fired by the Carolina Panthers with four games left to go in the NFL season. Um, again, this is a situation where a lot of people end up losing their jobs. Just Ron Rivera right now. It's, it's an interesting situation, right? He's been there for eight or nine years, eight or nine seasons since 2011. Um, and the Panthers did some very good things with Ron Rivera. But as of late, it's gotten, gotten very stale. And that includes... Sunday's loss to the Washington Redskins when they allowed basically two 100-yard rushers to Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis. Yeah, it's, it's a good point there. I mean, you know, no, this isn't a funny matter. It's a dude's job. People are losing their jobs. It sucks. You know, we like to, I don't know, yesterday I was making fun of Bruce Arians a little bit on Twitter. And, you know, there's reasons we do that. But at the same time, you know, Bruce Arians knows more in his little finger about football than I will know my entire life. So 
nothing against these coaches. They're trying to do their best job. And that's one of the things about Ron Rivera I always really respected. I mean, talk about a coach that came in the league and just kind of kept reinventing himself a little bit over the years. Like, how many coaches would start off with Cam Newton and then nine years later never once complain about the type of quarterback he was or try to say, oh, he doesn't fit my system? I know he was a defensive coach, so it was a little bit different. But just the way he was able to get that 2015 MVP season out of Cam. And, look, you saw what happened when he uh, got fired. It's not like these players came out and said, oh, finally or anything like that every right. single greg olson all these respected players just you know we're gonna miss ron so it's a situation and there are two things right at like the very least when owners and teams look at their head coach they want the team to have the identity of the head coach the mindset of the head coach and wherever ron rivera goes after this and he most likely probably will get a head coaching gig in 2020 i think that's the number one thing you can say about him right like he's a conductor he's a general he creates a mentality on the team mm-hmm. But I think the downfall this year really was the defense because we know that when since Sean McDermott left to become the head coach of the Buffalo Bills and took Brandon Bean along with him, who the mm-hmm. Panthers are kind of looking for their own Brandon Bean now to work with Marty Herney, uh, the defense has dramatically changed. And Ian, I don't think it's really because of the personnel. Like you look at it, this team still has very, very good players. I know they've lost K1 short for most of the season, Don Terry Poe for the last couple weeks. But you still have Luke Keekley, Shaq Thompson, Vernon Butler, who's a first-round pick, Gerald McCoy, who was a Big-ticket free agent signing. Um, you have James Bradbury. You have Eric Reed. You have Dante Jackson. Like, the personnel in this defense should not lead them to 32nd in defensive, a run defense DVOA. And that's where they are right now. Well, I think it's just the personal changes they tried to make from last year. Because what was the problem last year? They couldn't defend the pass well because they always had three linebackers on the field, but Thomas Davis also involved. So, you know, they take out the linebacker, they play more nickel, and, you know, they shouldn't be this bad in rush defense. So I hear what you're saying. But, again, you know, hey, at least Ron was trying to adjust it. So it's, no, it's, I'm not saying they made the wrong decision by letting him go. It probably was time. But, no, I, I still think this is a coach, though, that deserves to get another chance somewhere else. I mean, if anything, he's – at least proven that he doesn't need to run his system all the time. He can just be the hmm. organizational figurehead, you know, and do everything from there, which a lot of coaches can't do. Hmm. And he's gone through three offensive coordinators during that time. Obviously, Rob Chudzinski, obviously Mike Shula, and now with North, North Turner. And as a recovering Panthers fan, um, really, I have no emotional tie to them at all. As you say. No, I really don't. You've seen me have an emotional tie to a, a, a sports club. And do you see me on Sundays get up and down? All I say is, Kyle Allen, why'd you make that throw? I think it's a cover, but <laughs> whatever. Um, I was nervous, cautious about the North Turner hiring at the time. But if, I think that's actually turned out to be one of Ron Rivera's best moves during this time. Because while Norv has been around the block a hundred times, worked with multiple teams, he turned and became very creative. You know, he went away from those losing ways that he had with the Minnesota Vikings of taking five, seven-step drops every time and really allowed the Panthers to use their playmakers. And again, that stretch run that he had with Cam Newton to start the 2018 season, it was magical. Now, the other part of this is that North Turner is stepping down. North Turner is kind of moving into an assistant head coaching role, and that's almost certainly so his son, Scott Turner, can get some of the spotlight mm-hmm. so he can get kind of an audition. And Perry Fuel is taking over as the head coach. Um, I, I am wondering, and people out there are wondering too, Ian, how much of a difference it's going to make dropping off from Norv to Scott because you have DJ Moore, you have Christian McCaffrey, two bankable starters each and every week in fantasy football. But to me, the only answer we can have is I don't know. I hope they keep with this system, though. It's been the most cam-friendly system I think we've seen in terms of just getting cam to – 
his average target depth was always in the top marks of the league, and he was taking a bunch of sacks because he was always looking to throw down field to Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funches, these big body receivers that couldn't really separate. And then Norv came in, getting the ball out quickly to McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Space. The problem with this offense this year has been the quarterback. We talked about this, but yeah. like among – there's, I think, 50-some receivers that have at least 10 deep ball targets this year. And two of them, two of the top five in terms of uncatchable targets are DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. I mean, Samuel's been the one that we really point to. But DJ Moore, for as good of a season as he's having, it could be even bigger if he just had a few more catchable deep, deep targets. It's one of those, if you really watch the games, then you see that so many of Kyle Allen's positive plays are he hits his back foot and delivers the football in time to the open receiver that Norv Turner constructed. And, you know, I think Ron got a little bit of credit. Norv got a little bit of credit. Callan got most of the credit for going 4-0 as a starter to start. But so much of it does rely on North Turner. And that's better than most backups would do. It's, not, it's not that Kyle Allen is just this god-awful quarterback. But, no, I don't want the Panthers to build around this guy for right. the next five years. That's the difference. Just, just from the Panthers' perspective, because this is the team that has never had an offensive-minded head coach in their career. I mean, in their existence since 1995. Um, it's... And if, if I can look at this team for a second, people are wondering, well, why is this move made right now? Well, David Tepper announced it, and he's the owner. And it's because that he didn't want to go behind Ron Rivera's back. Like, he knew he was going to move on, so why not just make this decision now? Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of looming parts and pieces to what the Panthers are going to be in 2020, namely Cam Newton. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on Cam Newton and if he can come back. We learned today from Tiffany Blackman that he's going to actually going to have foot surgery, and it's wild that he even tried to come back on two and a half, three weeks. Sure. And who knows who made that decision, who pushed for it. I'm sure Cam was part of that. But it's wild that he even tried to play on that, and now he has to have surgery and be out eight to ten weeks on rehab. Um, but I can tell you this. Cam Newton is not going to play another down for any team on his current contract because his current contract is just $20 million, something like that, in one year. Nothing guaranteed after 2020. And so while some people might say, well, he has no leverage, right? He's coming off two injured seasons. He does have leverage yeah. because as the quarterback 14 salary right now, when other quarterback contracts aren't even factored in, they're going to happen this offseason, another team is going to pay him, one, more than that $20 million, and one, give him extra guarantees for future seasons. Yeah. And if that happens, and if he gets a sense of that from his agency, from his team, then he's going to lobby to not be a part of the Carolina Panthers. And so I think it's going to be – and I'm not you know, discrediting him for that. I'm not, not, he should do that. Sure. And I still think the Panthers should at least give him a two- or three-year contract because it's so hard to find another Cam Newton. But I don't know because if this is kind of a hard reset other than Marty Herney, which is maybe a topic we should get into, we shouldn't. Um, I'm not sure if the Panthers are willing to give him more extra years, and I think they just want to start over that position. It's just unfortunate that I feel like most people's perception of Cam is so tied up in what we've seen over the last 12 months when – He's had this foot injury that now requires surgery. Before that, he had this shoulder injury that he couldn't – they literally had to take the guy off the field when they want to throw a Hail Mary. I mean, he couldn't throw the ball downfield. So, I mean, honestly, like the fact he played as well as he did in these last, like, six injured games is a little bit impressive when you take that into account. Uh, one final thought. One, this is just what happens when billionaires buy a football team, like when billionaires spend billions of dollars. And I, I think it's a positive that David Tepper showed the patience for two seasons that – with Marty Herney, with Ron Rivera, saying, okay, rather than just come in, demolish everything, start over from scratch, I'm at least going to see if these guys are capable of their jobs. And I would say, Ron Rivera, look, nine years in the NFL is a long time. And there are points, like John Fox before him, where you, get, you have really high 
positive moments. And at some point, if you're not Bill Belichick, if you're not Mike Tomlin, I guess, then it's just time to move on from certain coaches because things become stale because there are new things across the league. And for David Tepper, he's very much a, and he talks about it all the time, a numbers, analytics-driven mind. And I would be surprised if it's not an offensive-minded coach. I would be surprised if it's not a younger coach. The whole wrinkle in this is Marty Herney keeping his job. And it's so odd to me because, I mean, this is Marty Herney's second stint with the Carolina Panthers. The first one he was fired, not specifically for this, but if you can add up a lot of these points, sure. it's taking D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart in the first round, giving both big deal money, giving Jake DeLome a big contract after Tommy John surgery, DeLome. trading the 33rd overall pick for Armonte Edwards. I could keep going on and on and on. And then when he was fired, again, not to criticize Marty Herney here, I'm doing it a little bit. He went on to, like, I think, purchase a local radio station. No team wanted to hire him. And then he was brought back into the fold by Jerry Richardson because they're friends and, two, because no one could stand Dave Gettleman anymore. And so now that he's already become such a friend of David Tepper and has so much of his trust already, it's a little shocking to me. Marty's been great in the first round. But when you look beyond that, and just look at this season in particular, the offensive line has been kind of a mess. Well, I think a lot of that is Marty. You bring back Darrell Williams coming off an injury to be your left tackle to start the season. Then you trade up because Greg Little was like one of the core pieces of your draft that you almost exited that you might have spent a top 20 selection on. That's a bit of an issue. <laughs> and everything out of the first round, and then you spend a top 100 pick on a quarterback that's not even going to see the field, it's questionable yeah. to me. And it's, it, it is shocking that David Tepper fully and wholeheartedly right now, and again, you know, it's what, December 4th? fully believes in Marty Herney, but that's that's where we are right now. Where would you rank this roster in the NFC South? Obviously, the Saints are one. Hmm. I think there's an argument to make that's the second. You could, I feel like there's a big drop-off between the Saints and whoever you want to put number two. Yeah. Could they fix that and not have to completely re-rack the team? Potentially. There are so many possible superstars on both sides of the football. Yeah. Especially offensively. I will argue that you have like three superstars offensively. Yeah. Possibly. And then defensively, before Brian Burns broke his wrist or his hand, oh, he was on a massive hot streak. Twitch off the edge, Luke Kuechly, his play is declining a little bit if you watch him each and every – Shaq Thompson's having an incredible year. We've talked about James Bradbury at times. Dante Jackson has skills. He's been banged up this year. I think he'll be better in the future. I, I truly believe the pieces on this team are much better than the sum, especially on defense so far. And, again, that leads to a head coaching change. Yes. It does. All right. I think that does it for that conversation. Let's move on. Let's move on to the Thursday night football preview. Uh, this is the Dallas Cowboys at the Chicago Bears. Dallas three-point favorites at home. I believe both teams are 6-6. Six and six. Yes, and I will be there. Fun fact. Are you? Yeah. Ian, I feel like we've never brought this up, and I hope you don't mind. Yeah. You're a Cowboys fan. I am, unfortunately. So and t- tell me about this situation that they're in, because right now the Cowboys have lost six of nine games. You know, I'm used to it because I'm the post-Super Bowl Cowboys fan. I have seen two playoff wins okay. in my entire fandom, never seen an NFC championship. So, you know, growing up, it was like my parents had the, you know, all Cowboys stuff everywhere, and then they were the hometown Cleveland Browns. And it just didn't seem all that enticing to switch. But, you know, looking at it now, especially in the preseason, it was like, wow, I might have might have made the wrong decision. But, hey, they're 6-6, six and six, and if you look at Jason Garrett's entire tenure here, that's what we should probably expect. I'm sure you're a big Quincy Carter fan. Oh, the GOAT. Quincy the GOAT. (laughs) Uh, This Dallas team just doesn't make any sense, man. You know, like, we watch the games. We try to evaluate why a team loses, why they're successful. Um, 
But at times, I think it can be difficult to explain why a team this talented is just 6-6 six and six on the season. And when you think about that, like we just spoke about with Ron Rivera, I think it comes down to coaching, Yeah. right? It's, it's the little moments in the football game. It's the small edges. It's, it's the correct decisions in situational football that the Cowboys just aren't making right now. Um, they still have like a game-and-a-half lead, I believe, in the NFC East, basically, because they have the head-to-head win over the Eagles. But... It's a team that, if they can win that first round of the playoffs, if they can put all the pieces together, they can still be dangerous because of the talent there. But I don't know how you can have any trust, any optimism right now based on what we just saw against the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night uh, and Thanksgiving Day football. I think their big problem is, like, the first three weeks of the season, we saw them just run through Miami, New York, and Washington. Afterwards, we said, okay, well, offense might not be that good, a little bit of a weak schedule thing. We, we're sticking their offense, though. The defense is, I think, the big story here because last year they were almost a top-five unit. They looked really good. Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch running sideline to sideline. Like, their identity was just this speedy defense that was going to be physical. And, hit, like, when they just the, – what they did to Alvin Kamara and, like, Drew Brees in that home game in Dallas last year was incredible. They looked like a defense that could carry a team. This year, they've not been anything like that. It's no. been some injuries. You know, Crawford's at the IR. Uh, Van Der Esch has this neck injury. He's been missing time. I think guys just overall kind of haven't been playing – quite as well as years past, but, you know, when you take the defense out of the elite group and make them more of an average group, when Dak and these guys aren't playing at the highest level like we saw in that Buffalo game, I think that's what really makes it stand out. I think Zeke Elliott maybe had his best game of the season against Buffalo. He was the least of the problem. 5.9 yards per carry, 7 catches, 66 yards. The Cowboys have 23 points over the last two games, and Zeke has none of them. Wow. Um, Are you concerned that Dak is averaging 44 attempts over his last four games? doesn't seem like what they want to do. I right. wish they haven't consistently used them as a runner, I feel like, as much as they could. And I know you want to keep your quarterback safe, and maybe with Dak you almost need to avoid doing that because every time the guy sees a third down, a defender in his way, he just lowers his shoulder and tries to run over the guy. And to his yeah. credit, usually he wins those battles. But I don't know. I've, I've noticed earlier in the year, like Kellen Moore, it seems like on the first drive he'd always call some sort of read option where Dak would at least threaten to go on the edge, and that at least makes the defense consider that for the rest of the game. We see defensive ends when they play the Ravens. like They cannot crash down because they know if they do, Lamar is about to take it for 20 or more uh, on the edge. So just making defenses really respect the entire field because we know like Dak's very accurate, obviously, but I think defenses try to make him throw uh, deep and they you know take their chances there. So the more you can just really, if you can't control the vertical areas of the field as well as you'd like, at least get the horizontal. On Chicago's side, you talked about Dallas's defense being worse in 2019 versus 2018. So is Chicago's. I mean, no one thought that Chicago's defense was going to keep up kind of the historic pace that they set up in 2018 because it's just not sticky year to year. We talk about that, it seems like, every single week. Well, um, this defense is solid. It's not a top-five unit in the NFL right now. I think a big part of it is Khalil Mack not getting home at all times. Like, he's... He has hot and cold streaks right now, which you should expect from a lot of edge rushers across the NFL. That's, I think he's a key to this game. I think Mitchell Trubisky making three to five really strong, big play throws in this game. And again, that's a roller coaster that we have ridden all year long. Even last week, he had a couple of those. I believe, what, the week before he did the same thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's something that we can necessarily predict. It's like, oh, he's facing Dallas' defense so he's going to have some big good throws. I think it's more just what's going on between the ears of Mitchell Trubisky, which is totally unpredictable. He's been playing his best football as of late. Now it's come two games against the Lions and the Giants, so yeah, we'll see if it 
can continue. But I mean, the problem is he's still not running. I mean, it was the the group text from my Chicago friends when he had that chance to go over the cornerback and get that first down. He just went horizontal. I mean, you know, Jake Cutler, like Bears fans, still kind of like that guy just because mm. he would, you know. You never doubted, other than that one NFC Championship game, where maybe he could have played, maybe he couldn't have, but he was still a guy where the teammates loved him. He was still, you know, ran over the Steelers' safety that one time. Like, this guy still went out there and was a true football player. I think Mitch sometimes, and again, we've talked about this, ever since he had that shoulder injury last season, he's right. been afraid of contact and afraid to run. And when that is your – I mean, we were kind of comparing Trubisky to – like Josh Allen. Look at his comps. Josh Allen, Blake Bortles, guys that pick up 30 to 40 rushing yards per game. He's just not even close to doing that this year. So, yeah, when you're taking away one of the best things he does and forcing him to be this pocket passer, he's not been great at it. Could the difference in between Jay Cutler and Mitch Trubisky come down to Jay Cutler, like, always has full confidence in himself, and Mitch just seems like he lacks confidence at times in his play? It's, I mean, they're, they're different players. He just looks uncertain yeah. so often when he drops back there. Like when he's working off that primary read, then he just seems like if there is an open receiver, if there is one downfield, it's like he just second guesses himself yeah. constantly when on the field. One more thing. The Detroit Lions you talked about hit a number of big vertical shots against this Bears defense. David Blau hit like Kenny Galladay down the field multiple times. Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, if they can do that same thing, I would expect the Cowboys to win this game. Uh, since the Cowboys, buy, since their week eight by Cooper is the PPR wide receiver 15, Cobb's the wide receiver 16, and Gallup's the wide receiver 17. Wow. They've gotten all three of those guys uh, very involved. And uh, Just a quick last point about the Bears' defense. I think two issues. They're still an incredibly talented group, but one, the offense has not done them any favors compared to last year. And two, I guess three things. Akeem Hicks could be back this week. That's oh, really? Huge. Yeah, that is massive. Could be activated. And, you know, just what he does for that interior of the defensive line really helps him shut down the run game. But to me, like, I was still projecting to be such a good defense because I saw all the young talent they had that could take further steps. Roquan Smith, Leonard Floyd, two top ten picks that just hadn't quite played like top ten picks in their career, and they still aren't. And then if you take, you know, Eddie Jackson maybe be- being more above average and truly elite this year I think is the right way to put it. They just haven't been the same game-breaking group. They're still yeah. good. They're still, I'd say, a top-10 defense, but they're just not the one defense you need to you know, completely change your fantasy lineups for. We, we questioned the Rams a lot this season because they've been up and down. In fact, I probably questioned them more than the Cowboys, yet the Rams this past weekend had a spot where they just could be absolutely dominant. I think the Cowboys could really use a game like that, yes. one that just instills confidence in the entire team, and maybe, maybe this is it. Um, If you want the rest of our game previews, go and check out the Thursday episode of this podcast. We'll go through the big nine games of the weekend. All right, I pitched this idea to you for this next segment. I thought it was a great one. Uh, We'll see how it turns out. I agree. Um, So as we approach the Fancy Playoffs, which is here right now, it's week 14, there are some players that are most commonly on the top teams across fantasy football. I looked at the top 500 teams on Yahoo!, and these are the players with the highest percentage on those teams. Um, and we start off, We should start off, and we're going to kind of pick through this list, give you the percentage. And I, I guess the, the piece of the segment is just to answer, yes, we could see this coming, or why didn't we see this coming? <laughs> uh, the first, it was obvious, it's Christian McCaffrey. He's on 83% of the top 500 teams easily. I mean, the next name is at 37%. And it's because Christian McCaffrey is just absolutely dominant this year. I will remind you, though, he was not. He was not the consensus 101 
this year. Saquon Barkley most likely was the consensus 101. In fact, in a lot of places, Christian McCaffrey was the third running back off the board, also behind Alvin Kamara and or Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. Um, but what Christian McCaffrey has done this year is just consistency and dominant consistency. Just, I think, two games under 19 fantasy points, depending on your scoring. And he's had multiple games, I think like six or seven, over 25 points, and then some 30-point contests as well. If he's on your fantasy team, you are not playing in the first round of the fantasy playoffs because yes. you have a bye. And, look, we were both wrong on plenty of guys in the preseason, both right on some guys. You know, I, I sent out a tweet earlier about how I thought OBJ was just going to be the most incredible wide receiver this year. McCaffrey was one guy I was on, and I was on him as number one overall pick. Look because, well, look, he's the only running back in the league that had the realistic chance to lead his team in both rushing and receiving. Saquon, it was a much more crowded pass offense with way more questions under center. Obviously, we saw some more questions come up in Carolina, but not really things we would have known about in the preseason. Zeke. Uh, he had a really big receiving year in 2018, but with the new play caller, with Jason Witten returning to get those underneath targets, it's still a guy where when McCaffrey and Zeke's their touch counts, their touch projections are equal, but McCaffrey's is so much more on the receiving side. Like, it's fantasy football. We want those receptions and targets any way we can get them. And really, it's between those three. There are some Alvin Kamara truthers, but I think even at that point, we knew Latavius was going to kind of have the Mark Ingram role to an extent. So, yeah, when you have... It was only between the running backs that we never get 90% plus snaps. And when one of them just has such a bigger receiving role, I think we really need to keep going with that. And I remember one storyline that was blurbed often this offseason was Norv Turner and Ron Rivera saying they wanted to give more snaps to a second running back other than Christian McCaffrey. But not change his touches. But not change his touches. But also, that was just an easily disregarded. You know, because they had a talented backup last year in C.J. Anderson and just did not know how to take out Christian McCaffrey in the offense and put in someone else. And once they didn't go and add another running back, even of the similar mold of McCaffrey, not even the same talent, obviously, but of a similar style, then you knew that he was just going to stay on the field again 80 90% of the time, and that's exactly what happened because they just don't have an identity offensively without him. I would like to see them get another back. Totally, but what I feel like what they always believe is they have – this smaller, shiftier receiving back. And this traditional mindset is, well, if we have one of those, then we need a power runner on the other hand. I think that's the biggest fallacy in all of football. Well, not the biggest, one of them. (laughs) Because why not have a similar back that you can put out in the field so you don't have to change anything? Like this thunder-lightning thing that was... You know, popular with Tiki Barber and Brandon Jacobs or D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. I can go on. Lindell White and Chris Johnson. No, just have like a Rex Burkhead as your backup to Christian McCaffrey, and you can implement the same style of offense. The more versatility, the better. And I was just about to say, like, the reason you can't have another running back is because McCaffrey already spends about 10% of his snaps in the slot or out wide. Like, you're giving him breaks on those snaps pretty much. You might be still getting the ball, but at least he's not getting the ball running to the teeth in the defense. So, yeah, I'm with you. Why not get another guy that can feasibly play on all three downs? I mentioned that Christian McCaffrey is on 83% of the top 500 scoring teams on Yahoo. Next on that list is down to 37%, but it's a name you should know. Uh, It's Lamar Jackson. And, again, it's surprising when you look back on it, but let's put ourselves back in our shoes in August and September because Lamar Jackson was the quarterback 13 in drafts on the high end. I've seen him all the way down at like quarterback 15 at times. That's 117 overall. Ian, this is going to lead people to do what they did with, with Patrick Mahomes this upcoming season, 2020, saying, well, now he's the quarterback one. Now should we consider taking him in round three or round four or wherever, or even round two? No, because 
the biggest advantage in fantasy football is finding a top three scoring quarterback or the number one scoring quarterback outside of the top 10 rounds. And you did that with Lamar Jackson. You did that previously with Patrick Mahomes in the year before. You did that previously with Matt Ryan the year before that. That is the cheat code in fantasy football. So the goal should be to find that next guy that is Lamar Jackson. Not talent-wise, not rushing-wise, but the one that was drafted outside the top 10 quarterbacks that could end up as a top one or two scorers. I think the rushing is a major indicator here because, look, I mean, this – what got me on Lamar in the preseason was his stat. I mean, 20 quarterbacks racked up at least 100 rush attempts from 2000-2018. Of those 20, 19 finished as a top 17 scorer, 13 finished as a top 6 scorer, 10 finished as a top 3 scorer. 50% of quarterbacks that had at least 100 rush attempts since 2000, top 3 finishing quarterback. I know some of that, you know, maybe they got injured, the running quarterbacks that could have gotten to 100 didn't, but this season we have three quarterbacks that are going to flirt with that line if not pass it. Lamar, QB1, Josh Allen, he's the QB5, and Kyler Murray, QB6. Two other guys that weren't exactly going among the top 10 quarterbacks in most drafts. And, yeah, but if you have a quarterback that is giving you – I mean, Lamar gives, the floor. Lamar gives us RB1 production. He's absurd, but we don't even need that. If we can just have something that's 30 to 40 rushing yards per game, it is so huge. And, again – I think part of it is how we finished the season last year with Lamar really basically being a bad thrower or an adequate thrower, I guess, and not using players like John Brown down the field. You know, Hayden Hurst was injured. They couldn't get those three tight ends on the field in all situations. Mark Andrews was still a good football player. But then they wanted to add even more onto that. They added Mark Ingram. They added Marquise Brown. They added Miles Boykin. Hayden Hurst came back. Like, this is still a team that was being built around the offense that Greg Roman, who he had seen build offenses around mobile quarterbacks in the past. Again, if you aligned all those pieces, Lamar Jackson was the pick. And for many of us, he was the pick, right? Yeah, yeah and I've seen some good people talk about Lamar. Oh, he's great until he gets hurt and all this. But they, they've done studies on these rushing quarterbacks. Like, their quarterbacks are more prone to injury when they're sitting in a pocket getting picked off with their eyes downfield versus when they're running and, like, surveying the field can actually see who's going to hit them. So. There, there's a top guy in this building. I will not name names. But he is one of those saying, well, it's great, Lamar, until he gets injured. Don't be like that. You know, I I would not watch football in that way. We watch the game differently because that's not how I want to. I want to enjoy it. I also want to believe that Lamar Jackson, like Kyler Murray, is so good at avoiding hard hits. And so often these quarterback injuries happen because there are statues in the pocket. Exactly. Guys who just get pummeled and can't move off their spot. Not someone like Lamar Jackson. Yes. Uh, we mentioned Josh Allen. We won't go into it anymore, but he was drafted as the quarterback 22. 139 overall also appears on this list of the top 500 teams. Yeah, last point on Josh Allen. Like We know he's a good rusher. I don't think right. we realize how good of a rusher. Josh Allen, Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson. Only quarterbacks ever wow. averaging at least 40 rushing yards per game. And with Josh Allen, kind of with Lamar Jackson, if you had a negative thought about him, some of it goes to our bias of real football working our way into fantasy football, right? Because there are obviously negative plays that Josh Allen puts out there, just mind-numbing mistakes of why did you do that? Well, okay, he's still going to run the ball. He's still going to throw down the field and try to. And now this year he's even improved in the short and intermediate game. And, you know, the offensive coordinator up there did a very good job in the second half of last year when Josh Allen did return from injury, Brian Dayball of building an offense around him. And then that was only going to continue this year, and adding someone like John Brown, adding someone like Cole Beasley, adding Devin Singletary. Again, the pieces, adding the offensive line, the pieces showed up where if we forgave someone like Jameis Winston who was being drafted well ahead of Josh Allen for making those mistakes, mm-hmm. we probably should have done the same thing for Allen. 100%. And it's a good point with Smokey Brown. I mean, just 
transitioning a little bit. Like two of the other guys on this list, John Brown, Cortland Sutton. If there's a wide receiver in an offense that is firmly being projected as the number one receiver in that offense, yes. even if there are quarterback questions, like these guys aren't costing you high draft picks. They are the best wide receiver flyers you can draft. And for John Brown, who's being drafted as the wide receiver 56, I mean, that's wild, 149 overall. And I do believe it goes back to his time in Baltimore where he was very, very good, a starter in fantasy football with Joe Flacco. And then once Lamar Jackson came in, it fell off a cliff. But John Brown has always been talented since being in the league. He was super talented with the Arizona Cardinals. It's just injuries have hurt him each and every year. They didn't hurt him this year. Corlin Sun's an interesting one because he, he does make this list. Wide receiver 36, 103rd overall where he was drafted. Um, I think we kind of forget that Emmanuel Sanders was there, though. Um, the injury questions were super high with him. Sure, but there was only positives yep. from Emmanuel Sanders. I want to give a shout-out to Adam Schefter, not that he needs it, <laughs> but he went on Matthew Barry's podcast prior to the season, and Barry asked him if you could pick one player that's a sleeper to add in your roster, who would it be? And he picked Cor- Cortland Sutton. Dang. And there was a lot. I mean, I was hyping up Deshaun Jackson. I was hyping up other names like Curtis Samuel. I really didn't have that much exposure to Cortland Sutton this year. In fact, he was on waivers a lot of times to start the season. Yeah. And he's been great. I mean, he's been phenomenal. And it's with awful quarterbacks. It's awful. with Joe Flacco, Brian Al- or Brandon Allen, and now he has Drew Locke. And, like, he's doing it. He doesn't even have 10 targets in a game this season. I mean, he's making, last week, four catches, 74 yards, two touchdowns on five targets. Like, they're not even – he is the number one wide receiver in that offense now, especially since Manny's been gone. But even with that, like, they haven't been forced feeding him the ball. He's just that good that he's making the most out of these six to eight targets per game. Uh, Dalvin Cook was drafted as the running back eight, 15 overall. We've seen him completely outperform that. And, again, we should have seen it coming. All the talk this offseason was about the running game. Kubiak. Gary Kubiak. Adding in Garrett Bradbury at center. They were invested. Mike Zimmer, I just want to run the football. Latavius gone. Why, why did we not draft him higher? Injury risk? A little bit injury risk. Um, yeah, I think that was really it. It was a miss, I think, overall. I mean, it's not like he was going super late. I think no. Dalvin was gone by the second round of most drafts. But he should have been like that. I mean, I think like McCaffrey last year, when he was still kind of going in the second round range, like, I think the smart drafters realized like he was the kind of second-round RB that really had the RB1 upside. And that's what Dalvin was this year. The one surprising thing with him has just been the pass game role. I mean, to see Stephon Diggs only have 16 more targets on the season than Dalvin, I mean, I didn't know he had that in him. And a lot of it is screens and stuff. We're not seeing Dalvin right. line up as a true receiver all that often. But we knew the guy was talented. And I think, yeah, we just probably paid a little too much attention to injuries. Yeah, because at running back, Le'Veon Bell was going over him. James Conner was going over him. David Johnson was going over him. And I, I understand with James Conner, the Le'Veon Bell one, looking back, it's like, why, why did we not have Dalvin Cook over Le'Veon? Le'Veon, I know it hasn't had many boom weeks. I think he's the running back 13 or 14 this year, though. Yeah. Like, it hasn't been killer. It reminds me of David Johnson last year, where, like, no, it's not what you drafted him to be, but he's still been okay. Let's close out with the defense. The New England Patriots defense is, let me find it here, is on 30% of the top 500 teams, and it makes sense, right? They were drafted as the defense seven. Um, it's been a wild year for this Patriots defense. I mean, basically to start the year, you had Christian McCaffrey numbers they were putting up. They had 37 points in week two, 25 points in week four, 27 points in week six, 25 points in week seven. Things we never see at the defensive position. Um, it's tailed off lately, but this is something that was entirely unpredictable. I don't know about that. Hmm. Look at the schedule. Steelers week one, we knew that was a tough game, but after that, week two, Dolphins, Jets, 
Bills, Redskins, Giants, Jets, Browns, Ravens before their bye. I mean, at the very least from weeks two to seven before they hit the Browns, we should have known that they were locked in the starting lineups if you have a defense. You know, I've always been team don't draft a defense. You know, just use that extra roster spot and a handcuff. And if you need to pick up a defense, do it uh, just before week one. But with that said, I think more and more, like we talk about how defenses don't matter in like matchups when evaluating offensive guys. But I think the offensive matchups for defenses really matter a lot because the hmm. more rookie and just mistake-prone quarterbacks you can get your defenses exposed to, the better. Because even like guys like Josh Allen in this Bills game, even if you want to say, like, okay, that's not the easiest matchup in the world, it's for the defense, it's still a quarterback that we know is going to turn the ball over a couple times a game, and that's all we're looking for. The part that was unpredictable, though, was six touchdowns in the first eight weeks of the Obviously, season. Obviously, no one saw this level coming, okay. but I'm saying they, you said they were the defense seven. seven. Like, there's no reason they should have been out of the top five. Is okay. The point. That, yeah, I would also add, though, I mean, they lost their best pass rusher individually in Trey Flowers. Yeah. They lost their defensive coordinator to the Miami Dolphins. Bill Belichick basically didn't hire anyone on the defensive staff. It's him and Steve Belichick. Um, I mean, so there weren't any, like, individual sack pieces there. We saw them dominate the Rams in the Super Bowl, despite not having really any of those individual pieces. But the six touchdowns made a big difference in the first eight weeks sure. of the season. And they've tailed off as of late. So it's not like, hey, go and draft the Patriots Stevens next year yes. way early. But um, it's, it's just one where, you know, I never would have thought a defense could put up that many points in the first eight weeks nah, of the season. I get you. Uh, all right, two other quick running backs I wanted to mention. Austin Eckler, Latavius Murray popped up on this list. We've seen them provide a little bit of standalone value, even with their uh, starting running backs back in action. But develop roster spots to these backup running backs that you know can inherit three down roles. Because when MG3 was uh, you know, holding out, when Kamara was sidelined, these guys were giving us 20, sometimes 30 points a week because yep. they're in good offenses and they're running backs that can play on all three downs. I know Latavius was a little bit, we were not super sure if he was going to have a Oh, I loved role. him. Oh, yeah, no, I loved him, too, because they brought him in to be that Mark Ingram role. Exactly. But I didn't expect him to play 90% snaps when Kamara was out. That's all I'm saying. His past, he's been better as a receiver, I think, than any of us remembered. Maybe some of that was just more he was never really used as a receiver before this. But, like, if you're going to have a committee back on, you know, if you're going to have Agent Peterson on your roster who can maybe give you RB2 upside when things break his way, is that really better than someone like Latavius where – if Kamara gets hurt, then you have a locked-in RB1. I mean, it's something to at least think of with those uh, bottom spots. And then, okay, last guys. Not on this list. No Ertz, no Kelsey, no Kittle. I don't know if mm. you're a big best ball guy, but like a lot. Oh, yeah, I love best Okay. Ball. One of the main strategies was like, especially if you're in those three-man uh, leagues. I did it. Yeah, scoop up all three tight ends. And Not all three. I did it in um, another Roto-World league where I took George Kittle and Zach Ertz. I think in rounds three and four, though, because they fell in that. And was, I'm, I'm second yeah. place right now. I just got to say, I got a first-round buy. <laughs> Nothing, I mean, yeah, these guys, and then none of them have been bust this season per se, but, you know, you're talking about the value in getting a late-round quarterback. I think that can be the same kind of notion can be said for tight ends because we see Mark Andrews on this list, Austin Hooper, Darren Waller. I still can't wrap my mind around Haas and Hooper being the tight end one as the number three <laughs> pass game option in his own offense. But at the very least, Mark Andrews and Darren Waller after week one, we should have looked at these guys and said, okay, it's an offense without any clear-cut receivers that are necessarily getting fed targets over them. And if you can get, if you can get a tight end in any offense that has a real chance to lead their team in targets, go get them. Now time for Nick Minzio and his starts and sits of the weekend. If you want the full list, go and check out Nick's column up on Roto World right now. Nick, let's start off with your starts. Devontae Freeman against the Carolina Panthers. Um, we know Carolina's defense 
rushing defense is absolutely awful. That's how we started the show. Uh, but last week for Freeman, back in kind of that bell cow roll, 17 carries, 51 yards against the New Orleans Saints to go along with three receptions. Yeah, after missing two games with a foot injury, Freeman was back in on two-thirds of the offensive snaps, handled 21 of 30 backfield touches. Um, the volume of snaps share were promising. I mean, headed into one of the easiest matchups we'll see of the season, still without a rushing score to his name this season. Um, I think this is his best chance at really ending that skid. Carolina, as you mentioned, dead last in run defense DVOA, dead last in opponent yards per carry, dead last in rushing touchdowns allowed, dead last in fancy points given up to running backs, and 29th in rushing uh, yards allowed per game. I mean, Darius Geis and Adrian Pearson combined for 23 carries for 228 yards and three touchdowns last week against Carolina. Um, Since the Panthers' week seven by enemy backs, Latavius Murray, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, Tevin Coleman, and Raheem Mostert have all found the end zone. Um, I mean, Freeman's explosion appears pretty much sapped at 27 years old right now. Yep. But coming off lower body injuries, but he, he's 26 among 28 qualified running backs in pro football focuses. Elusive rating, only better than Sony Michelle and Frank Gore. But I think there's still enough here to warrant RB2 status. Um, Atlanta's implied total of 25.25 points is sixth highest of the week. Um, the Kawan, Kawan Short and Dontari Polis Panthers are 24th in opponent plays per game. So, I mean, this is just everything lines up for Freeman to just find the end zone finally this season and, and produce at least RB2 numbers. Yeah, Nick, I'm with you. If there's a spot he's going to be able to fall into the end zone, it should be this one. It also seems like he's not going to kill your lineup because, as you said, hmm. two-thirds of the snaps with uh, Brian Hill as the backup. It was more 50-50 with Ito this year, so clearly they're vowing him more as the future back right now. And sneaky pass game floor. I mean, only McCaffrey, Eckler, and Fournette have more games with at least three receptions than Freeman this season. So even if he doesn't maybe get that blow-up spot, as you said, he's you know running through mud, it seems like, half the time. This is at least a guy that probably won't tank your, tank your lineup. Am I right? Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said there. I mean, like you said, he, he has the pass game floor. Um, I'm kind of worried about it a little bit if Julio Jones and Austin Hooper are back this week, which is looking like looking likely. But, I mean, there's there's enough meat on the bone here for, for Freeman to produce. Nick, always love it when you have some spicy names that you pick out. Uh, this next one, who's a start against the Miami Dolphins, Jamison Crowder. I believe Jamison Crowder. I love it. Just has two receptions in each of his last two weeks and two games. Um, this is a player who was feasting off those first drives even when the Jets were losing and not playing well. Um, but, again, the volume is what we always look for at wide receiver. And, Nick, he hasn't gotten it the last two weeks. Why are you confident in him against the Dolphins despite them just being the Dolphins? Uh, he played a 10-week high, 86.1% of the snaps last week against the Bengals, drew his most targets since week one, which was nine. Uh, the bad news is he dropped three passes, finished the day with the two catches for eight scoreless yards line. Um, I mean, I'm just chalking up as a bad day for him. Major bounce back spot for the Jets slot receiver here. Miami is dead last in pass defense DVOA, 30th in pan- and 30th in fantasy points allowed to wideouts. Um, since Sam Darnold returned to lineup from mono in week six, Crowder is averaging 6.9 targets per game and has three touchdowns over his last five games, um, leads the Jets in the red zone targets. And when these two teams met back a week nine, Crowder put up eight catches for 83 yards and one touchdown as the overall wide receiver 10 that week. Um, fellow slot receivers Jarvis Landry, 10 catches, 148 yards, and two touchdowns. Juju Smith-Schuster had five catches for 103 yards and a touchdown, and Cole Beasley also scored. Um, these guys have all scored against the Dolphins since week five, since the since the Dolphins' week five bye. Um, I think it's a slum-busting spot for for Crowder in a game that is, I think has some serious shootout appeal with a 
with a 45-point total, um, the week's seventh highest. Yeah, Josh, you were saying the targets haven't been there recently, and nope. that's true. He's a boomer bust receiver, and it's weird to say because he's this underneath slot guy who we don't really – normally boomer bust, we think Robbie Anderson, you know, this deep field stretcher. But he's in nine Sam Darnold stars. Crowder has had five performances in the top 20, and then he's been outside the top 60 in the other four. So, you know, you want that upside, and Crowder, mm. for, even though it's not, you know, big shot plays down the field, he has provided that upside. Nick, again, these are your starts and sets for the first round of the fantasy playoffs, so they're important. You're going to win and lose people's games. Just want you to know that. Uh, and keeping that in mind, it is the first sit of the week, and that is Darius Geis against the uh, Green Bay Packers. Darius Geis is coming off, I believe, his best game of his career. He was awesome against the Carolina Panthers, running over defensive backs, stiff-arming them straight to the ground, and that was for 10 carries for 129 yards and two touchdowns. Why don't you trust him against his Packers defense? Yeah, definitely one of the week's biggest storylines last week. Um, but the Panthers are dead last in run defense. So, I mean, obviously it was a great game for guys, but he played on 29.7% of the snaps, his lowest of the season. Adrian Peterson outsnapped him 23 to 19, also outcarried him 13 to 10, while Chris Thompson also soaks up all the pass game snaps. So, this is a three man running back by committee and one of the league's worst offenses that heads out on the road as significant 13-point underdogs. I mean, Geis and Peterson are early down plow horses with with Thompson dominating in the past game, catch-up mode work. Um, Green Bay is 28th in run defense, too, so it sets up well for these guys to have success on the ground, but I, I just expect the Packers to blow the Redskins out of the building. I mean, Washington's dead last in, in plays per game and offensive pace. Um, it's not like this is an offense that can carry multiple pieces. Just feels like a Terry McLaurin game for me. Um, feels dangerous chasing Geis' gaudy Week 13 numbers and a much tougher road test, I believe. Um, the Redskins are implied to score a Week 14 low, 14.25 points. Um, until the Redskins stop feeding Peterson carries and, and let Geis take over this backfield, I mean, I, can, I can't treat him as anything more than like a risky, low-floor RB3 for me. Let's close out with another, I think, surprising name. Uh, you're advocating to sit Debo Samuel against the New Orleans Saints. Debo last week in weather-related activities, uh, four targets, two receptions, 41 yards, and one touchdown against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I think Debo Samuel's really emerged. I think he's like a real wide receiver now and not just a manufactured touch player anymore. We know that the Saints secondary has dealt with injuries, namely Marshawn Lattimore. Um, and I guess Debo's going to have to fight with targets, with multiple pass catchers, but... It's still surprising for me to see him on the sit list here, Nick. Yeah, I mean, Samuel played a season high 96.4% of the snaps last week in Baltimore, but ran just 28 pass routes and has seen a total of six targets over the last two games with Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle back healthy. I mean, the good news, like you alluded to, is Samuel has scored touchdowns in both the both the past two games, but the matchup against the Saints in the Superdome figures to be one of the toughest two-day tests for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, New Orleans is number nine in past defense DVOA. Um, Samuel figures to see quite a bit of Marshawn Lattimore in this spot, especially when Sanders moves into the slot. Um, I think Samuel has the most upside of any of the Niners wideouts, obviously, but Cameron Jordan and the Saints pass rush should live in the backfield against Garoppolo, give him fits all afternoon. Um, San Francisco's 21-point total is 11th lowest of 32 teams in action this week. Um, the Superdome is typically a fantasy-friendly environment, but Samuel's low target share combined with the defensive nature of both these teams just moves them to risky wide receiver 3-4 status for me. That does it for us. Again, if you want to check out Nick's full list of starting sets, and they're important, and he goes out in a limb, and I love it, uh, go to rotorworld.com for that first round 
of fantasy playoff action. And for Ian Harditz, he has like 17 columns this week. Go and read all of them. You know, you've got plenty of time. Uh, we'll be back again later on this week with John Daigle, Hayden Winks, Roto Pat for our nine-game preview slate. Until next time, talk to y'all soon. See ya. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.